Hello, and welcome to the first episode of The Long View, a podcast brought to you by Adopting.com. Now, whether you've been married or not, you probably have an opinion on this question. Is a wedding the ending, the happily ever after ending? When I ask that in workshops I lead, people laugh and say no. Sure, they say the wedding is the end of the journey to the altar, but it's just the beginning of the journey to the marriage. And that's the focus of this broadcast. Once you fill the crib and are legally joined to your beloved child, your journey is not over, it's just beginning. We'll cover many of the things you need to know to navigate adoptive parenting over the long view, starting with things you need to know now, perspectives you need to hear now. I'm your host, Lori Holden. I'm the author of The Open-Hearted Way to Open Adoption, which is on suggested and required reading lists at agencies around the country. I'm a longtime blogger at LavenderLews.com, and I'm a mom through domestic infant adoption to a daughter and a son who are now in their late teens. So I've been doing this for a little while now. This is my very first episode, and I am so happy to welcome my very first guest, Leah Campbell. Many of you know Leah. I bet there's thousands of you tuning in already. Um, She's an incredible writer. And after being told at age 26 that she was infertile, what a harsh diagnosis, Leah went on to adopt her daughter as a single mom by choice just four years later. Today, Leah's daughter is seven, and they maintain a very open adoption with her entire extended family. Leah works as a freelance writer and editor and has a degree in developmental psychology is foster care certified, and is the author of the upcoming children's book, The Story of My Open Adoption, which I have had the privilege of reading, and I love it. I more than love it. I adore it. So welcome, Leah. Hi, thank you for having me. This is exciting. It's exciting for me too to to, uh, have you here. So can you tell, set the stage for us. Tell us briefly how you became a mom. As I recall, I was following along at that time. You were caught by surprise by the whole thing. Is that true? Yeah, it was a, it was a very, um, our, our adoption was unique is the only way to explain it. Um, I, you know, after dealing with infertility, I had done a couple rounds of IVF that had failed and was pretty heartbroken. And I think like a lot of infertile women, I was a little closed off to the idea of adoption because so many people kept saying, just adopt, just adopt, which is really the worst thing you can say to an infertile woman. It discounts it really just counts everything they're feeling and all their grief. Um, and so I'm a very stubborn person and I just became angry and said, I'll never adopt, you know? (laughs) And I have said this before, I've written it before, but actually it was some of your writing that started to change my heart. Um, and it was because it was not directed at me. It was not thrown at me. It was something that I was able to kind of take in on my own. Um, and really I would say my heart changed really fast. Um, shortly before my 30th birthday, a friend had sent a link to a profile of a little girl who was looking to be adopted in foster care. And I want to say she was, you know, 11 or 12 years old. Um, And there were a lot of things about her that reminded me of me. I didn't have the greatest childhood. I wasn't in foster care, but there were hard things. Um, And there were a lot of things about her story that just really spoke to me. And my heart changed very quickly. Um, I called the foster agency in our state the next day. I started foster training really pretty immediately. I would say in December um, of 2012 is when I said, you know what, this is what I want. I want to foster and I want to foster older kids. I want to foster, you know, teenagers. Um, And so I started the training in December and I was due to finish my training at the end of February. And early February, um, right before Valentine's Day, actually, I was at a work conference 
and I was sitting with a group of women, um, and I live in Alaska, so a lot of, I, and I work for an Alaska Native corporation, so um, I don't know if anyone knows much about that, but Alaska has a very diverse population. We have a huge Alaska Native population, people who live over 200 villages in the state that don't have roads in or out, very small villages, um, and that was what I, where I worked. I worked with women and people who are working to help those in the villages. Um, and so most of my coworkers were native and this woman sitting next to me said, hey, does anyone know anyone looking to an adopt? A woman from my village just had an adoption fall through. And I kind of looked at her and I said, well, I'm getting foster care certified. And she was talking about a baby. And at that point I told myself, I'm not gonna have a baby. Nobody's ever gonna give me a baby. I'm a single woman. Um, so I wasn't even thinking about myself, but there were couples in my foster care classes who were specifically looking to adopt infants. Um, and so I said, if she wants to call me, there's couples. I know several couples who are looking to adopt an infant. I'm happy to connect her. Um, 15 minutes later, she called me and we were on the phone. And that was the whole purpose of my conversation was I can connect you with the people I'm working with with foster care. I can connect you with a couple couples. Um, and also the story was she had canceled an adoption that had been planned for months that morning. So in my head, I'm thinking this woman doesn't really want to place her baby for adoption. You know, you don't, she was due in a week. You don't counsel on adoption a week before it's due if you really want to place your child for adoption. So the bigger part of my conversation was, let me help you find resources. Let me help you find ways to keep this baby if that's what you want. Um, but we got about 15 minutes into our conversation and she said, so you're getting foster care certified. And I said, yes, I am. And she said, and you want to adopt? I said, I would like to someday. Yeah, I'm looking to work with teenagers. Um, and she said, you don't want a baby? And I said, well, it's not that I don't want a baby, it's that I realize everyone wants babies and there's all these teenagers in the system who age out and I think I just have a heart for that. And she said, well, would you take my baby? <laughs> wow. At that point, I kind of, my heart stopped and I said, it was funny, like looking back, I'm, I'm like, I can't believe I almost talked myself out of this, but I said, oh, you don't want to give your baby to me. I'm a single woman. We can find you a couple. We can find you a couple who wants a baby. Um, and she said, well, okay, I'm walking into the adoption agency here to go look at adoptive profiles. Can I call you later? And I said, sure. Okay. And we hang up the phone. And I got off that phone and I was shaking. I was like, did I just say no to adopting a healthy newborn? Like what is happening? And in my head, I'm like, she was walking into an adoption agency. She was going to go look at profiles. I'm never going to hear from this woman again. Um, and that is what it is. Like obviously not meant to be. Well, she called me a few hours later. And she said, look, I know you said you're not looking for a baby. And I know that you said you're looking to adopt a teenager, but I, you've been on my heart since we talked on the phone. I don't know if you believe in God, but I think God wants me to give you this baby. And at that point, I'm just floored. Um, we talked, we met for lunch the next day. We both cried at lunch. We just had an instant connection. Um, we obviously have very, very different lives, but we had a lot of personality similarities, like the way we communicate, the way we talk. Um, was just very similar. Um, and uh, honestly, I looked at her and I was like, had I been put on a different path in life, we could have been in the same situation. We could have been the same person. Um, and we just connected. And a week later, I was in the delivery room catching my baby girl. And that was our story. <laughs> that is an amazing, amazing story. I remember watching a little bit as it was unfolding and thinking, wow, this is like the stuff that you would see in a movie because it just yeah. happened. So it unfolded in such a short amount of time and you didn't really have a whole lot of time to like prepare and do no. all this stuff, but you had, you had done a lot of that before you had done some pre-work. Oh, well, emotionally I was ready. Um, but 
we had nothing. The one thing I learned is you really don't need as much for a newborn as you think you need. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yes. Um, you need a car seat. You need a place for them to sleep. You need some food and some diapers and clothes. And really, yeah, it, my, my village, I would say my, my group of friends uh, came together in a huge way. My three best friends had had babies within the previous year. Um, so we really got a ton of hand-me-downs. We got, I, I don't think I spent money on anything that first year. We got everything we needed. And so you've, you've remained in contact with your daughter's birth mom. Yes. And, and that's been for seven, going on more than seven years. And um, now you're about to um, put forth into the world a new creation, your book, The Story of My Open Adoption. Can you tell us a little bit about the book? Sure. So when Josie was little, when my daughter was little, I looked everywhere for books that kind of reflected what we had, which was a very open adoption. Um, not only with my daughter's other mother, but with her entire extended family. We had aunts, uncles, cousins, um, even honestly, uh, my, my daughter's other mama's best friend, her and her daughter are a part of our extended family. Um, so even non-blood relations have been brought into our, our fold. And I couldn't find anything that reflected that. Even beyond that, um, my daughter has five siblings, um, three of whom we've been able to keep in contact with, um, and has had questions and struggles about that. Like why they're together and she's not with them and why she can't see them as often. You know, we've got issues of distance and, and travel struggles between villages. And um, she's had a hard time with that. And I couldn't find anything that reflected that. Every children's book I bought, and I bought almost all of them at the time, were very adoptive parent centered. Um, the stories were always being told by the adoptive parent in terms of, I wish for you, I wanted you, you were my wish come true. Um, which was lovely and beautiful and true to my story, but not necessarily true to hers. They didn't answer these questions she had. Um, and that was something I really struggled with. A lot of them were religious based. And while we're religious, I, I didn't necessarily love the religious bent. Like a lot of infertile women, I struggled with this idea that God picks and chooses who gets a baby. Um, so I didn't, for me, that was a hard thing to have because I'm no more worthy than anyone else to have a baby. Um, and it was just this, it, oh, the other thing, all of them, all of them talked about adoptive families, mostly adoptive moms as this like mysterious entity. There would be, you know, one or two sentences in the book that would say, oh yes, I'm sure she loved you, but we don't know anything about her. And I struggled with that because that's not what most of our adoptions are today. You know, close adoptions are a very rare thing today. Um, and so there wasn't anything that represented our adoption. Um, and what happened was a couple, well, early last year, mid last year, I was contacted by a publishing company and they said, you know, we want to create something different. We'd like to create a different kind of adoption book. And would you be interested in joining us? Which again, doesn't happen in publishing. Like publishing companies don't approach authors. Um, so I, I recognize that I've had a lot of really like lucky experiences in my life. Um, and that kind of came about and I said, yes, I will do this under these circumstances. The book has to be written from the child's perspective. The book has to represent an open adoption. The book has to express that there's not all rainbows and light adoption, that there are some things that are really hard for kids. It has to give kids an opportunity to explore and process some of that. It has to provide resources for adoptive parents because I think a lot of adoptive parents go in blind to adoption. Um, and we had these discussions and they said, sure, whatever you wanna do, we're on board. Um, so I got to write the book that I wish I had had when my daughter was little. I, I love also in your book, you start with a dear parent letter. 
Yeah. And I feel like that is such an important piece of the book because as you and I both know, when you start on this journey of adoption, whether it has contact with birth parents or not, yeah. you want to be open to your child for yeah. everything that your child is wondering and feeling and all of that. And so some of that is you're teaching parents who are picking up this book and, and open to learning about um, all the intricacies of adoption. You're teaching them some of the ways to, to, um, to approach it that may be different than what we see on the movies of the week uh, and the um, teen moms shows and things like that. So you, you mentioned in your letter to, to parents, you mentioned fostering a policy of ask anything you want in your home. And I love this because, of course, I advocate for relationships based on openness and truth. Um, so why, is, why do you think such openness is so important, especially for adoptive families? And how has that openness, that ask anything you want vibe, um, how has that played out in your home? So I do think in part that's my personality. I'm a pretty open book and it was not how I was necessarily raised. Um, so it became something that I really wanted for my daughter. Um, I wanted us to have an open, honest relationship. Um, in our home, you know, my daughter knows that nothing she says, nothing she expresses is going to hurt my feelings. And in reality, you and I both know that sometimes those things do hurt our feelings. Mm -hmm. Like, of course they do. Um, but I've worked very hard to make sure that she did know she is not the keeper of my feelings. She is not responsible for taking care of my heart, particularly in her questions about adoption. Um, and so it, she does, she'll ask questions. She'll, she has said before, um, one of the things she started doing, and I wrote about this in the letter to parents, is she has started using her biological last name. Um, this is it, it, all on her own. She realized that her siblings had a last name that she didn't have. Um, and she is requesting teachers. She is requesting everyone else. Sometimes she cuts off our last name. Um, she, sometimes she says her name is not Campbell. Her name is just this last name that she um, was born with. And I've worked really hard to, to foster that and to allow that to happen, even to the point that um, we've had conversations about legally changing her name if that's what she wants. Um, and I think we decided on a set date of 13. If she decides that's what she wants at 13, um, just because I feel like so much of high school stuff follows you into adulthood um, and getting your license and everything else. So if she's going to change her name, I'd like to do that before things are like following her into adulthood. Um, so we've set a date. We've said, you know, if you're 13 and you want to do this, well, I'll help you. Um, and I think that that's helping her to process her own identity and figure out who she wants to be and, and who she wants to be called. You know, adoptive kids don't have a lot of choices in most of this. Most of these decisions are made before they're ever even able to verbalize any of it. And the truth is, um, my daughter, we have a transracial adoption. My daughter is native. Um, her birth last name is part of her heritage. It's part of her background. And she has started to recognize that. Um, so it's not my place to put my foot down and say, but no, you're part of me. It's my place to say, how do we help you? And what do you want here? Um, and that's, we have a lot of really deep, you know, for a seven-year-old, she's got a lot of questions. Um, her siblings are no longer living with her other mama. They've been placed somewhere else too, um, for various reasons that I don't get into publicly, but I do talk about with her, um, at an age appropriate level, of course. Um, and, and she has a deep understanding of all that now. Um, and I just think the beautiful thing in our adoption is, um, my kiddo knows she can love her other family and that that doesn't take away the love she has for me. And she knows that even at seven years old. Um, and I just, I feel like that's probably the most important thing that we can have. Yeah, one of the um, books that I think all parents should read um, 
over and over again, but especially adoptive parents is the connected child. I notice you yeah. include that as a resource in your book. Um, but the, the premise of that is to make yourself feel so safe to your kiddos that they can come to you with anything. Yeah. And my experience has been that by doing my work around adoption and making sure that my triggers, I'm dealing with my triggers so that my kids don't butt up against my own triggers about adoption and about not being the only mom. But by, by doing that work on myself, that benefit of being open and working on my own triggers has really helped me deal with other hard things that are coming up. Yeah. Your child grows up and they, if they're confronted Mm -hmm. with, um, you know, drugs or alcohol or peer pressure to do certain things or sex, you've already kind of got this practice of feeling safe. What do I need to do right in this moment so that my triggers don't come front and center and my kiddo can focus on themselves? And that's really what I'm talking about is I feel like that's my personality and would be my inclination as a parent anyways, but I do. I think it sets up that point where I hope my daughter always knows there's nothing she can't talk to me about. And you know, I, we grew up in a different generation mm-hmm. um, and I don't blame our parents. I don't, but I, I didn't have that relationship. I didn't feel like I could talk to my parents about anything. Um, and I just want a different experience for my daughter in, in all facets of life. Absolutely. And let's face it, if you've been through the pain of infertility, you might have some triggers. You might have some landmines, some emotional wounds. And that idea that you don't get to be the only mother um, can be triggering when you choose to let into your life um, another mother who's a reminder of what you went through. So to be able to shift from that either or, either she's the mom or I am, to a both yeah. and like you've done with your daughter, to be so expansive and so open that those things don't trigger you and your daughter can work on her stuff without having to watch out for your stuff. I just think that's beautiful to watch. Well, and you know, I will say it's not always easy. There's times, you know, especially in the beginning, especially it was interesting. My daughter's other mother and I got along so well. Like I would, we were friends very quickly. Um, but there was a shift the second that baby was born. Um, and I just, I hadn't expected it. I had in my mind that I was going to be this super open, super positive person. But the second that baby was born, even my dad said there were ways that I held my body when I was holding the baby where I kind of positioned myself away from her. And it wasn't anything I did consciously. It wasn't anything, um, but it becomes this, this thing. And it was, I was jealous. She breastfed our baby that first day. I was jealous that I couldn't do that. Um, I was jealous that she'd had this time with our baby for nine months that I couldn't have. Um, I felt like there was a connection there that I would never be able to replace. And I'll tell you the truth there is and remains to this day a connection I will never be able to replace. Um, And I've had to come to terms with that, that Mike, and what I will say is in the beginning, I think it was harder for me. And as time has gone on, I think it's become harder for her um, as my daughter's and my connection has, has grown. Yeah. And she and I have talked about this too. Um, And I do think that there's a give and take there, you know, in recognizing that it's not easy for her either to watch somebody raising her daughter in a way that maybe she wouldn't have. Um, And the beautiful thing is I think we do have an openness between us. You know, it's been harder the last couple of years. Again, various things that have not, have happened to her in her life have made things harder. Um, But uh, we have an openness between us. And I I think we've always had an ability to be honest with each other, um, which is good. Um, But yeah, it's, it's not always been easy. The one thing I will say is it's always been right. Um, When I look back on everything, I wouldn't want it any other way. I've, I'm glad that I've swallowed my own pride on the times when it's been hard. And I'm glad 
that we push through the tough stuff because it's not just my daughter who gets good things out of this. I get good things out of this um, all the time. There's so much beauty in our open adoption um, that I'm thankful for every time we're with her other family. Um, and I'm thankful. I think that that's true of any family, honestly. There's hard parts of every family. There's things that aren't easy, but you're glad when you push through it and figure out a way to come together. Um, and I think you make such a good point about you, you, you can't expect yourself not to have those feelings of envy, exactly. but you, you can notice them and breathe through them Yes, and not deny them. Because if you deny them and push them away, that resistance gives, is what gives them power. But if you're aware like, okay, there I go. I'm a little bit jealous again. How can I make myself okay? Yes. Yeah. And that's a constant dance. I think that, um, adoptive mothers and first mothers do, as you say, you know, as, as the um, child grows up and the balance shifts and the relationships come and go, you know, strengthen yeah. in different ways and different times. So that was a real, that's a really good point. I um, see all the time. My therapist is the person I'm supposed to talk to that. So <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Not your, ch- your not child is not your, that on. Yeah, exactly. exactly. What are your hopes for this book? You know, I was just hoping to create something that other families could see each other in. And some of the reviews are coming in and they're really reflecting that. Like a woman wrote that she was a foster parent, so she didn't know that she would be able to relate to it, but that there were pieces um, that worked for her kids too. One of the things I had included was other children, um, other, you know, biological siblings in the book, um, because that's something that we deal with. And a lot of people are responding to that. I think in our adoption, honestly, that's the hardest part for my daughter out of everything is having siblings that she, particularly because she's an only child in my house, um, and wants siblings really badly. Mm -hmm. Um, so that was something I wanted to reflect and I'm finding that other people are feeling that too. I think I just wanted to create something that wasn't out there yet. didn't follow the same pattern. And it was maybe a more modern interpretation of what adoption looks like, because I do think most of us these days are striving towards an openness that didn't exist 20 years ago. Right. Um, and that's what I wanted. I wanted a book that painted that and it showed that it could be beautiful and it showed adoptive parents kind of putting the feelings of their child first. Um, and it makes it easier for other families to do the same. And I, I don't think I'd be delivering any spoilers if I said that um, your book, uh, your characters are animals. Yeah. <laughs> and, um, and they're even the, the child is a different species than the parents. So it's kind mm-hmm. of a cross, I mean, the adoption is very apparent that way. Yeah. Um, and I love the way that you, um, in your, in the storyline, you really give space to that both and of the, the, the child, Sammy, being able to claim both sets of yeah. and beyond that both and you also give space for the both and of happy and sad and the Mm -hmm. complexity and range of emotions that we found that adoptees often feel especially if they're having to hold our feelings too but that we try to keep that out of it but they're likely to feel joy at being in contact and sadness about not having contact or or all sorts of things that can happen over the course of of raising a child and you allow for all of that you you show all of that it was important to me. It was, I wanted my daughter to see something that, that looked like what we have. Um, and that reflected her feelings. Like she's an independent little one and she has a lot of opinions on a lot of things. Um, and she owns where she comes from. She owns it. Um, and that makes me really proud. Honestly, I'm proud of her for knowing she can do that. I think there's a strength that, um, that our children 
can gain when they are able to collect all of their pieces. I think this happens for non-adoptive families too, but the more we allow them to kind of be themselves and, and wonder where they need to and gather the things that they need to, to build their identity, the easier they're going to, easier time they're going to have in forming their identity. Exactly. And I, I mean, I've seen that. I've seen that in, I think that it could have gone the other way. Like if she felt like those pieces were shrouded or kept from her, um, I think it could have created a much less confident child. Um, she's, she's grown up really confident, really proud of who she is and where she comes from and all the pieces of her. And I hear her talking to friends, which is funny. You know, she's seven. She's little. Like her interpretation of things may be different from mine. Um, it, but the way she talks to her friends about her other family and her other mama, and it's really special. Um, it's really special. And we've, we've been blessed in that, you know, we are separated by, by distance in that most of her other family lives in a village pretty far away with no roads in or out. Um, access is not easy. Uh, but like last summer, her aunt and two of her cousins and then her second cousin, so the little ones were here and we got to spend almost all summer playing with them. Like we picked up her little cousin who was her age at least once a week to go on adventures with us. She went trick-or-treating with us and she really got to spend a lot of time with them. Um, and it was just such a special thing because that's not necessarily something we've had throughout our adoption. It's this like constant being able to spend time together. Um, and she just bloomed. Um, it was really special for her and, and really started to embrace her native heritage that summer more than she has before. So that was cool too. Leah, what have you learned along the way in adoptive parenting that you wish you'd known earlier in the journey? <laughs> I don't know that there is a way to know this earlier, but I wish I had known that it was going to get hard. Um, I went in with such rose-colored glasses. You know, I had read your book, and I had read a bunch of other books, and I was like, I am ready for this. I am going to tackle this, and we're going to be open and amazing, and it's going to be this beautiful thing. And I was not at all prepared for the things that would get hard and the things that would be outside of my control. Um, I'll be honest, I wish we were able to see her other mom more. I wish we were in there things that are, she's having to deal with that I don't have any control over. So I can't give that to my daughter because it's not in my realm of control. And um, I'm very type A. So having to admit that I can't control this is really hard for me. Um, I would be lying if I said our adoption is everything I dreamed it would be in the beginning. Um, life is not always that simple. You don't get to paint a pretty picture and have it come out that way. There are complications and there are things that are hard and there are decisions that we've had to make and talk about and work through that I didn't think we would. Um, and I think that I just wish I had been better prepared for that. I wish, because it's hit me hard every time. Every time something hasn't gone the way, the beautiful, easy way that I thought it would, um, it's made me question myself. It's made me question my decisions and my choices. Um, and I think I just wasn't, yeah, I wasn't prepared for the fact that I could have the best of intentions and there would still be things that would be hard. I remember seeing a meme that said, open adoption is easy, said no one ever. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, said no one, anyone ever. Constantly shifting. It's constantly, like you said, that balance is constantly, it's not, our open adoption does not look the same from one year to the next ever, Um, ever. And sometimes you, as the adoptive parent, come up with, uh, come up against competing needs. Yeah. You know, in the early years when your child is a baby, you are really trying to 
get that relationship going with the, the first mom and meet her needs and feel safe to her and, you know, make that, make your tent big enough for everybody. But then your child grows up and has opinions too. And sometimes, yeah. um, as I've seen a lot of people experience, what your child needs is the opposite of what your child's birth parent needs. And yes. that's, that's a conundrum. So I think it's, it goes back to what you said earlier. It, it's not easy, but it's right. Yes. This openness, this, um, providing all the pieces. It's, it's the right thing to do for our kiddos. Well, and the easiest thing to do would, as soon as things get hard, say, nope, we're not doing this anymore. I'm cutting it off. I'm closing it down. This is not happening. That would be the easy thing. Um, but I don't think that would be good for me. I don't think it would be good for my kiddo. I don't think, you know, it's, so it is, it's constantly trying to figure out, okay, what does this look like in these circumstances? How do we make this work now? And I think the one thing that I will say really more than anything for my daughter's other mom and I both, we both want what's best for her. We both love her desperately. And so, um, and we love each other. We do. Um, but you can love people and have it still be hard sometimes. Um, and so we're constantly, we're constantly figuring out, okay, what does this look like now? What does this look like to meet your needs? Because she's had some hard times and what does this look like to meet our needs? And it is, it's a balance. It's, it's an ever changing balance. And I think being willing to reevaluate and rebuild again and again and again, is what makes any family work, but especially an adopted family. Yeah, that iterative process. It's not like you get there. I have an open adoption and we are set. Exactly, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. Last question, Leah. Boil things down for us to your best piece of advice about the long view. I think being open-minded in an open adoption is important um, and never, ever putting anything in these kind of set, this is how it is terms. Um, because it may not be how it is. And I, th I think that's true, again, of parenting in general. I think that things change and evolve and move forward, and you need to be willing to evolve and change and move forward with it. Um, and as adoptive parents, I think this is something I work really hard on because it's very easy to center yourself and everything. It's, we think about ourselves and our needs, and it's just natural. Um, but I try really hard to remember that I'm the person with the most power in this dynamic, always. I'm always the person. I get to make the choices. I'm the one with the legal standing. Um, I have more power than my daughter in this. I have more power than her other mom in this. So it is my responsibility to kind of step back sometimes and give power where I can. Um, I think that's a really important thing for adoptive parents to remember. You're in the power position. So you are responsible for not taking advantage of that power you have um, and, and making and sure that everyone's taken, taken care of. And I'll add, if you can't give power, give voice. Yes, Absolutely. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, um, tell people how they can reach you and uh, how they can uh, find your book. Sure. Um, you, well, my website is leahcampbellwrites.com. So that's, you can find me pretty easily there. The book is on Amazon, Barnes and Noble. It's releasing on June 16th. So it should be in bookstores, most places uh, shortly thereafter, hopefully, if you're in an area that has bookstores even open right now. Um, I'm always big on supporting your local bookstore. But yeah, it's called The Story of My Open Adoption. Um, and then I'm pretty active on Facebook. If you can find me on Facebook, I've got a, that's probably where you can see what I'm doing the most is on Facebook. We'll include some links for you in the podcast notes. Awesome. Thank you. So Leah, thank you so much for being with us today. It's been a pleasure talking with you about something we're both so passionate about. Oh, it's always great talking to you, Lori. I appreciate you and everything you do. Thank you, Leah. Thank you for joining us for Adoption the Long View. 
We hope you'll subscribe and listen to all of the coming guest interviews that we have planned for you. I'm Lori Holden, and I'll talk with you next time.